This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com and 365 Sports. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, also 365 Sports radio host. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grundhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for, you guessed it, Sikkim365.com. And we come to you following a, a tough week, once again, for Baylor football as they drop to 3-2 and two after a 36-25 to 25 Defeat at the hands of Oklahoma State last Saturday in Waco for the Bears. They're now on to the open week, which they're in the midst of. Uh, now it's uh, just a little bit of extra time to uh, lick their wounds and to uh, sharpen some edges and to uh, get a little bit better and look in the mirror a little bit as well as they move on in the rest of the Big 12 schedule. So we'll be talking about uh, the Oklahoma State game and also looking ahead a little bit as well. But uh, Grayson, uh, as always, good to have you, and uh, well, another tough week for Baylor football, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, first loss at home in their last nine games. They were on a nine-game win streak, and um, you know, it's just it's just one of those games. It was really tough, um, tough to sit there and kind of watch this, this kind of, I don't even know how you would phrase it, really. It just felt like a whole lot of self-inflicting wounds um, by Baylor, and you don't normally see that at home. And it just, it compounded and it just kept snowballing until finally Baylor was able to, you know, turn the tide a little bit. Uh, but in general, you know, a really tough game to, to kind of watch and tough to see this team, you know, perform so far below standards um, in your first big test at home, a, you know, big high profile matchup against a top team uh, in the conference, a top team in the nation. So yeah, you know, in general, it's it was just one of those games that was just really tough to figure out and tough to figure out why Baylor didn't come out with, you know, more energy and more momentum in this one. Yeah, there was a, a bad first half to be, uh, you know, sitting there front and center, I think, as far as, you know, the reasons why they, they ultimately did not win this game. Just uh, not a not a good look right from the beginning, as you said. And uh, I don't know how you explain the, the lack of energy. I think that's something that they're probably trying to figure out right now. Uh, but that was, you know, one of, of many things that kind of plagued them on the day and ultimately cost them uh, in this game. So uh, we are on location this week. Uh, I've got no car right now. It's in the shop. Grayson was feeling a little under the weather. So just to, to be transparent, that's why we're not in studio, but we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. Plus, it's an open week. So uh, you're still getting a show. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's something we're offering you. And hopefully you'll enjoy that and that will tide you over until we get back to a regularly scheduled uh, routine next week. Um, but uh, let's just kind of do it this way. We'll run down the game uh, in, in so many ways. We'll get into a little bit of now what awaits the Bears. Uh, a couple of questions in the mailbag this week and then get into some Big 12 games as well. So, uh, Grayson, uh, just stop me when you want to stop me, but I'm going to fly through this and I'm not going to go over every little detail. So if there's something that you want to interject, by all means, but uh, – just kind of generally going through this game. Uh, Baylor gets the ball first and uh, ends up with a field goal, uh, which, you know, would be good news in, in most circumstances to score points right out of the gates. But as we know, this was a drive that should have been a touchdown. And uh, Gavin Holmes had a big drop on third down. Uh, that would be a sign of things to come in this game, unfortunately. Uh, so, you know, if you want to start of where were missed opportunities, you literally look at the very first drive of the game uh, at home with the ball. They win the toss. They say, yeah, you go ahead and go score first. And you seem like you're about to do that, but uh, cannot pick up a first down. And instead, uh, you end up with the three-pointer as a John Mayers kicks it from 34 yards out. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I felt like this wasn't, you know, oh, my gosh, they're going to lose this game because of this happened. But I thought, okay, well, that's just exactly how you end up losing a game like this is dropping balls on third down. Yeah, and I mean, earlier on that drive, you also got another sign of things to come when Monterey Baldwin had a 28-yard reception. So you kind of got to see, okay, Monterey looking like he might have a pretty big game. But yeah, you mentioned it, that Gavin Holmes drop. Um, you know, we're going to talk about it later because there's, you know, 
two more, uh, but one late in a game that was absolutely crucial. But the thing of it is, is like in a game like this, and we're going to talk about kind of, you know, the, the larger scope of this game. But I will say this, a huge part of the reason that Baylor lost this game was because they were unable to put pressure on Spencer Sanders, meaning the game script always favored Oklahoma State. And so for Baylor to come out on this drive and only get a field goal after moving the ball as successfully as they did and after you know you have that preloaded script, and it worked to perfection. They drove right down the field. They had a third down. They were going to convert it and be inside the Oklahoma State. I believe they're, I think they were going to be inside their five if he had caught it, uh, maybe even in the end zone if he's able to, you know, find a way in. Um, but yeah, I just felt like, you know, you put pressure on them, you score a touchdown there, and now all of a sudden you put all this pressure on Spencer Sanders. Did not happen. Key drop. Uh, we're going to talk about more of those in the, in the future, but that's my biggest takeaway is pressure. And they were unable to do that. You only go up 3-0. Um, and that's not a lot of pressure when you're able to get the ball back with your prescripted drive as we're about to talk about. Yeah, so Oklahoma State gets the ball after the uh, opening field goal drive from Baylor. 15 plays, 75-yard drive, touchdown for the Cowboys. And uh, their first scripted drive, as you mentioned, results in a touchdown. So they take the early lead as Spencer Sanders finds Bryson Green for an eight-yard touchdown on third down and four inside the Baylor 10. Yeah, and real quick on this, just we won't go through it every drive, but this was another sign of things to come where Oklahoma State was finding soft spots in Baylor's zone coverage, uh, especially Brennan Presley, uh, who had two receptions on this drive. And then you got to the point where, okay, now we're going to take a shot over the top. And that's exactly what they did. They exposed the bridge that Baylor has just not played well at on the outside. They've struggled at times and they struggled at the end of this drive as well. So um, great drive by Spencer Sanders, Brendan Presley, who was a nuisance all game, had a nice, uh, you know, a couple catches on this drive and then finished it off with, you know, a touchdown in, in the end zone and one-on-one coverage. Tough, really tough. So a few drives later, uh, after some punts, uh, Baylor gets pinned down at the one yard line. Special teams was uh, another reason why uh, or a big reason why Oklahoma State won this game. Uh, they played well on special teams, and Baylor was absolutely atrocious uh, for the most part on special teams. Uh, but Oklahoma State pins them down, and then uh, a, another just what is going on early in this game type of moment for Baylor fans as uh, Jeff Grimes, you know, would always call a better game than me. I certainly don't know more than him about, you know, offense and football and calling plays and all that, but uh, – I don't know. I'm still going to question the call, uh, even if Dave Aranda himself said that, you know, this was based on some success they had. A pitch back in the back, a pitch back into the back of the end zone, basically. And Richard Reese has absolutely zero chance after Baylor's blockers uh, are unable to uh, do their jobs. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense, you give them credit, but they burst through and uh, there they see, you know, Richard Reese just with lots of end zone around him and uh, they make the play and they get the safety and all of a sudden it's nine to three and Oklahoma State's getting the ball back. Spoiler, they wouldn't do anything with it, uh, but neither would Baylor on downs uh, and then, you know, a couple more punts from both teams. So this didn't result in anything but more of a stalemate, but it did give Oklahoma State a nine three lead and um, would be a lead that they would expand on a little bit later, which I'll get to in just a moment. Yeah, but I mean, so here's the thing. The the play call, I agree with you. I have an issue with it. I know you're trying to surprise Oklahoma State because in most of those situations, you're just going to run the ball up the middle or you're going to QB sneak it. So, you know, you pitch it. Maybe you hit them for a huge gainer because they're not expecting it. Um, and yes, it's true. There was a missed block. So maybe if the block occurs, it ends up being a nice game. But it's just such a high risk and in my eyes, low reward type of play. Um, that I just I didn't agree with it at all. I'd rather you just run the ball up the middle, run up the middle three straight times, hope you get a first down, something like that, instead of pitching it in the back of the end zone where there's just so much risk to it. Um, and then also, you know, yes, they were able to get a stop on the next drive and then Baylor drives right down the field. But that's another drive that I think is important to just mention because that's where yeah. Baylor drove all the way down the field. They had this really nice drive, eight plays, 64 yards, fourth and one at the Oklahoma State seven. And this is where, in my eyes, another interesting call was made um, because the score is nine to three. 
you decide to run the football. Yes, it's true. If Richard Reese cuts up field, you get a first down. Instead, Richard, as a freshman, tried to bounce to the outside. Um, but it does make you wonder, you know, you kick that field goal, it's 9-6. Maybe you have a little bit more momentum. You're feeling like you're more in the game. Um, they go for it. They don't get it. Um, and that was another huge turning point in my eyes, especially in the first half. I think that probably was the biggest turning point in the first half. Yeah, I didn't mean to, to gloss over that one as much as, as I appeared to there. So I'm glad that you stopped down on that. But, yeah, I thought the Richard Reese safety call, that was that was just a bad call. I don't, I don't care what effectiveness it had. For, I mean, it's you're in the end zone. And you're, you know, you're not by any means positive that your offensive line's, you know, set up to, to just push these guys out of the way and give Reese room when you're, you know, giving it to him five yards deep in the end zone. I just – that was baffling to me. I mean, that really – that was baffling, that decision – uh, so, I mean, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, then later on, Richard Reese, I mean, cut up field and that's just him being a young player and thinking that, you know, he can still do what he did at Belleville, I guess. And I, I'm not, you know, harping on him by any means, but that was a play like first downs there, man. Uh, great play by Oklahoma state, but like you got, you got to get the first down and uh, unable to do so. So just, I mean, look, look at what we're talking about here. You know, opening drive, you, you drop a pass on, third down that would have given you a first down and instead you have to settle for a field goal. You give up a 10 play drive right after that. Uh, you do nothing but punt. Or, I mean, you punt and then you, you have a safety on play number one, you turn it over on downs, you know, deep in their territory, you turn around and punt. I mean, that's their first half. Uh, that's just, that's just, I mean, that's why you have three points at halftime uh, in, in a big 12 contest, but uh, you know, to add even more salt to the wound, after, uh, you know, getting stopped on downs, a couple of punts are traded. And then uh, there with, you know, just three minutes to go in the half, yet another 10-play drive from Oklahoma State, yet another drive before halftime in which Baylor surrenders a touchdown. And uh, this time it's Dominic Richardson from two yards out on second down and one. They score. It's 16-3. to And then halftime uh, to follow about 30 seconds later. So 16-3 to pokes at the half and just uh, – Man, what a what a carousel of missed opportunities for Baylor here. Yeah, and there's Brendan Presley with three more receptions on that drive that led to the touchdown. Baylor's, you know, two-minute, in quotes, defense. I know Oklahoma State had three minutes and 15 seconds to score on this drive, but that their two-minute defense, their end of half, um, their, you know, defense when the other team is just airing it out, trying to come back, has just not been good. Um, not good at all. And I think a big part of it is, you know, I think teams are locking in onto Baylor's zone schemes and they're able to find holes in the zone. I also think Baylor's lack of pressure, their lack of ability to get to the quarterback was also on full display in this game as well. And that's been a consistent problem. Um, and for a unit on the defense line that we have talked so much about, and they have been great, especially against the run, they really aren't impacting quarterbacks as much as they should be. Um, and you saw Spencer Sanders have a really nice drive, lead his team downfield. And I felt like Spencer Sanders had an awesome first half. And that's not good for Baylor, but he felt in total control of this game uh, in that first half. And that was a big part of what I was saying. Baylor put no pressure on him, whether it was getting after the quarterback or with the scoreboard being the way it was, he really got to play extremely free. Um, and I felt like he played really well and he, he really – he impacted Baylor a lot because he was making throws in these little tight windows in the zone uh, defense and just was able to kind of pick them apart and move the ball methodically for the Cowboys. So third quarter gets underway and uh, Spencer Sanders doesn't need to do anything because they run the opening kickoff back. So great halftime speech that really rallied the troops. I'm kidding. Uh, obviously uh, just more of what, you know, plagued them in the first half and, uh, this would, I guess, be their wake-up call because they certainly woke up after this. But, I mean, just really – it's not what you think of a Dave Aranda team is, you know, going and giving up what they did in the first half. But then you think that that's bad enough and they turn right around and give up the opening kickoff. I just I, – I don't know what to say about special teams at this point. Um, and he said enough, uh, I think, in the post game. Dave Aranda did. He, he's not a happy camper, and that's something that you can best believe they're working on during the bye week. But uh, I, I think that – uh, it's a real oversight on his part, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't normally say that. Uh, you know, in regards to Randa, I understand that he's still learning, but to me it's kind of surprising that 
somebody who's so thorough and, and I mean, this just staff wide really in general as well. They have to understand how they won games last year. And I understand that they don't have all the pieces. You mentioned one of them getting to the quarterback. Okay. Well, big reason why they're not getting to the quarterback is they don't have Jalen Petrie anymore, but, and they don't have JT Woods and they don't have Terrell Bernard, all guys that can get to the quarterback at times or be disruptive. Um, but you had to know that one area you could try and be as good it was, you know, in terms of ways that you won, it, it was special teams. You beat a lot of teams thanks to special teams. And that's not just this last year. That's That, that was what you did with Matt Rule as well. When you weren't as good as other teams were, you won through just being smarter and playing good special teams. And Grayson, they're not playing good special teams. That's just – that to me is – that's just a – a huge hole in their game. I mean, and I know that they're capable of doing it at times, but like, that's one of those things that you just, that should be automatic in my opinion, um, a part of the culture, so to speak. And that, that's just kind of surprising to me. And I know there was the changeover from Powage to, to wheat. So I'm curious to see how that, that shifts, but they, they have to be sharper there. Um, no doubt about that. So give up the opening kickoff. Uh, Baylor responds and uh, they have a nice drive. that eventually ends with Blake Shapin to Monterey Baldwin. 49-yard score on first and 10, uh, just drops it in. One of the more beautiful throws of Blake Shapin's career uh, over coverage. And, um, you know, the crowd looked like they were about to be out of it pretty soon after that opening kickoff. But uh, this reignited them, even though there was still some work to do. Uh, that was a huge play and a beautiful throw and a beautiful catch as well by Monterey Baldwin. Yeah, that was a perfectly thrown football by Blake Shapin. That was an absolute dime right over the top of coverage. So really happy to see that. Happy to see Monterey being a guy that's really impacting the game down the field. Um, he was given enough time. Shapin was barely. Uh, he, he almost got hit on yeah. that play, but he was able to get it out in time, get it to Monterey, be accurate with it. So special throw. Um you know, it was kind of like you mentioned, you were talking about special teams a little bit. And I think just in general, you know, when they went for it on fourth and one on that Richard Reese carry, it also made me go, hey, you know, this team won a lot of games with their defense last year and their special teams. And so, you know, sometimes going for it is not always the right move. But, you know, looking to the second half, it's one of those things where, OK, you give up the opening kickoff. Now you're down 23 to three and now you're going to have to turn into an offensive team that's going to air it out and you know, make all these plays downfield. And, you know, Baylor gets one here. I felt like this was a huge response by this Baylor offense, huge response by Blake Shapin making a big throw like this. And when it was 23-10, you're kind of going, okay, they definitely have a chance to get back in this game. They can definitely win this game. They just can't make any more mistakes, and they got to find ways to score touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, a great start to the half in my eyes after giving up what could have been a completely demoralizing kickoff return. Yeah, uh, that was that was certainly a moment that let the air out, but uh, they responded in emphatic fashion, and then the crowd really got into it as Spencer Sanders was picked off on third and seven uh, as they didn't you know, allow Oklahoma State to move the ball much. Uh, they were still deep in their own territory. He's picked off by Christian Morgan, uh, and then five plays later, another Blake Shapin, uh, you know, led drive leads to a touchdown as Richard Reese caps off. Um, the five-play drive with a first, uh, with a one-yard run on first and goal from the one. Uh, so a drive where Baylor was able to start with a short field thanks to that Morgan interception and uh, get into the red zone, you know, just a couple plays later. And a couple plays after that, finish off a drive to make it 23-17. to 17. And so all of a sudden it's a one-score game, and uh, it is raucous at McLean Stadium. Uh, but it was really just getting started as we will – uh, get to, uh, but any thoughts on on the Reese score, just the, the interception and the, the turnaround to cut it to a one-score game? Yeah, great play by Christian Morgan. I want to point that out. He got out there and really played great coverage against probably Oklahoma State's best one-on-one -on -one guy um, as far as receiving options go. And so I, I felt like that was an awesome play by Christian. Great to see a senior do that. Great to see him go out and have an impact. Um, and yeah, I mean, they turned it around. They scored a touchdown. They did exactly what they had to do whenever Spencer Sanders made a mistake. Um, the problem was Spencer didn't make many mistakes in this game, but at least on the one that he did, Baylor took advantage of it. And when it was 23-17, now you're seeing they're going, okay, how is Oklahoma State going to respond? How's Spencer Sanders going to respond? Now you finally maybe have a little pressure on him. You know, it's a one-score game. You're right in the middle of it. Um, and as we're about to find out, um, maybe Spencer Sanders has matured a little bit 
more than we thought in a year. Uh, well, and yeah, maybe it also helps that Baylor's special teams would again come into play as, um, you know, it, it's I'm not trying to harp on it, but it was a big factor in the game. I mean, it was uh, when you look at the final result and, and again, go back and watch Dave Arena's press conference and see what he points out. It was very clearly his bugaboo uh, as they turn around after getting all this momentum and overcoming a opening kickoff, you know, on the first half, uh, first dr- play of the second half. They're down six, and they give up a 50-yard return to Brennan Presley. And then two plays later after uh, – well, no, 50-yard return, 49-yard pass from uh, Spencer Sanders to Braden Johnson. And then a couple of cracks at the uh, goal line, and they, they get it in there uh, to score the touchdown and make it all of a sudden a 30-17 to game. So, uh, yeah, not, not, not a long time – for Oklahoma State to respond after Baylor cut it to just a six-point game, and all of a sudden you're down by two touchdowns again. Yeah, and once again, man-to-man coverage on the outside, one-on-one matchup, and Mark Milton got torched um, by Braden Johnson. It was not close. It was a very well-thrown football as well, a great catch by Braden Johnson, but he was wide open. I mean, it, it it wasn't even close. It could have been a touchdown. I think his foot barely stepped out of bounds, or else it would have been. Um, But again, Spencer Sanders responding, and this was his biggest response probably of the day um, to get them down the field and score a touchdown like that immediately after Baylor had, in my eyes, taken all the momentum back. He made a big throw, and um, yeah, that that was really a tough drive, and that was a drive where you went, "Uh uh-oh, okay, Baylor might really be in trouble here, and this might be too big of a lead to overcome um, just because of the way that Oklahoma State had been playing uh, offensively and their defense had made plays as well. And so, yeah, this was a really tough one for them to give up in my eyes. Well, there'd be more scoring, but this is ba- that basically was the game right there yeah. uh, at 30 to 17. That was, that was ball game. Um, even though there was more to come, this is where the score would never, never change really. So Baylor turns around and gives it up on downs four and out uh, Blake Shapin uh, fourth down and two. Uh, incomplete pass, and they give the ball right back. Uh, very strange drive. Um, now that I'm thinking back on it, uh, you know, fourth down, you're running the ball. Craig Williams just ran it for three yards. You need two, and uh, just a, a play, you know, on the pass that just never, never really felt like it had a chance. So Oklahoma State gets the ball back, and they go six plays, 32 yards, and uh, fourth and goal at the Baylor one, they decided to tack on points, 33-17. to 17. Tanner Brown's good from 19 yards out. They're up 16. And, again, Baylor's not going to, to get as uh, much of an opportunity, even though they would, again, close the gap a little bit. They're not going to get as much of an opportunity to, to win this game um, as they would then uh, go and score four plays, 75 yards. Uh, Blake Shape into Monterey Baldwin, 70-yard touchdown. Crowd goes crazy again as they get within eight. Um, but you know, spoiler alert, this is, this is as good as it would feel the rest of the game. Um, because shortly thereafter the air would get deflated, but quite the sequence of events, Grayson. I mean, looking back on that whole deal, you have the the big kick return and the long touchdown pass from Sanders. You turn it over on downs, you give up a field goal. Then you score on a massive play from Monterey Baldwin. And all of a sudden it's an eight point ball game again. And just, uh, you know, McLean Stadium was just kind of nuts at this point. Yeah, and I mean, on that drive, you know, the field goal drive for Oklahoma State, they ran that reverse pass and got the catch right inside the five-yard line, and then Baylor got a goal line stand. So once again, another goal line stand, just like in the Big 12 Championship. And, you know, this was one of those things where, and I keep going back to when Baylor decided to go for it on fourth and one in the first quarter, Oklahoma State decides, hey, you know what, we're just going to kick the field goal, we're going to take the points. And I do feel like, you know, they could have gone for it. They could have tried to put the game completely away. Instead, they kick a field goal and go up by 16, but you're still only up by two scores. So they really just took the points there and decided they were going to roll with their defense. And um, I still feel like Baylor maybe could have done that. Now, hindsight's 2020 because they called the right play in that first uh, on that drive with with Richard Reese. Like he should have gotten the first down, but should have, could have, would have. You could have easily just taken the points and, and gotten three points and maybe the game, you know, the shape of the game turns out differently. But either way, Baylor gets a goal line stand. Pretty crazy. Like you said, on the very next drive, a perfect throw from Blake Shapin once again. Uh, you can't put a linebacker on Monterey Baldwin 
And that's what Oklahoma State tried to do. Monterey caught, caught it, made him pay, um, showed off his speed, which was really fun to watch. As we saw in the Sugar Bowl, got to see it again. Uh, so, yeah, fun little exchange there. Baylor cuts it to eight. And once again, you're still only down by a score. You're still in this game. You just need quick stops. You need to get the ball back to your offense. Yeah, and uh, that's why it's it's fun to go over this kind of piece by piece because there's little pieces that you can fill in as I'm, I'm kind of glossing over it. And, yeah, the goal line stand, that was obviously huge. That was massively important, although you still surrendered points. And um, a lot of credit to the defense. Uh, you know, they certainly had their moments that weren't so good, but they had – some moments where they tried to limit the damage as much as possible. And uh, it's certainly not the reason why you say they lost this game on Saturday. Uh, there, you know, definitely things to clean up, but there were some, some great moments in that goal line stand was, was one of them, but yeah, that was a, a terrific play uh, shaping the ball went on fourth down and five. Uh, the crowd went nuts when, when that happened and you felt like, okay, there's, there's still a chance for this thing to, to maybe turn out in the bears favor. Uh, then certainly they, they added fuel to that as they, uh, got the stop, forced the punt on the uh, following Oklahoma State drive after the Monterey touchdown. Uh, as, um, you know, just the defense steps up on a pretty lengthy drive, able to uh, force Tom Hutton to a 36-yard punt. And uh, then everything started to fall apart as eight plays into Baylor's subsequent drive, Blake Shapin picked off on second down and eight. And, uh, well, this was a pretty bad moment, Grayson. Yeah, another really nice throw from Blake Shapin. Um, and it would have been a first down. It was second and eight and uh, at the Baylor 30. So Baylor knew they were going to have to have a long drive, and that's fine. There was still eight minutes and 45 seconds left. You're only down by eight, so you're down by one score. Um, and he threw a nice ball to Gavin Holmes, and it went right through Gavin Holmes' hands. And unfortunately, it went right into the Oklahoma State defender's hands, which was Thomas Harper, who was on coverage. Uh, if he catches it, it's at least like a 15-yard gain. He had a little bit of room to run, too, if he had made a guy miss. Um, so it could have been even more. Uh, but instead, he drops it, goes right to Thomas Harper, and the bad day just continues for Gavin. And you feel so bad for him, but just so many mistakes. The drop, uh, you also mentioned, you know, the safety that Baylor had. I felt like Gavin could have fair caught it. He decided not to, so Oklahoma State got the ball at the two. Um, yeah. So there were just a lot of things to point to in which Gavin just had a really bad game, which is really sad to see because he had just had such an awesome performance in Ames the week before. But yeah, the interception and, and then Oklahoma State got the ball. And so now Baylor's like, OK, got to get off field really quickly or else we're not going to have a shot in this game. Yeah, just uh, man, I mean, you're down eight. You've got a long drive going. I mean, you're about to be into 10 plays into this drive. And, uh, yeah, just a, a bad sequence of events. Uh, Oklahoma State uh, somehow getting the ball at the 33, still had to run eight plays before that drive would end. Mind you, they started at the Baylor 33. And eight plays later, uh, there they were, fourth and goal at the nine, and finally even forced into kicking a field goal as a, another stand from the Baylor defense. Uh, really impressive given the short field that they had. And so uh, Oklahoma State kicks the field goal. It's an 11-point lead, so things are pretty much, you know, you kind of know what, what's what at this point. But uh, to make it official, uh, six plays later, Baylor on their last gasp, uh, Blake Shapin picked off down the sideline, and uh, that was all she would write because uh, then you'd have Oklahoma State just basically running the clock out. Uh, they'd run a few plays after that, eventually punt. Baylor would run some plays all for naught, uh, basically, because they were down by 11 and really had, you know, no no time uh, or not enough time to, to, to do anything. So uh, that, that interception was killer. And, um, you know, you can debate on what shape and saw or not. But either way, uh, defender got in front of it, picked it off, and uh, that was pick number two on the day. And that was the one that would seal this game, basically, for all intents and purposes. 36-25 would be your final score. And Baylor moves to three and two on the year, and Oklahoma State's unbeaten and now one and zero in conference play. Baylor now one and one in Big Twelve conference play, and here we are in the bye week ahead of West Virginia. Yeah, exactly. And I did want to mention on that drive. I think it's also important to mention for Oklahoma State they fumbled the football, and Baylor had another yeah. opportunity to get on the football with it only being an eight point game, and they would have had, yeah. I believe, what five minutes to drive down the field and tie it. So bad fumble luck there. 
Um, we also mentioned on Baylor's touchdown with Monterey, the, the kickoff. Um, Oklahoma State also fumbled the football there, and Baylor couldn't get on it either. So uh, some bad fumble luck opportunities that Baylor could have had. Th this was a game, I think you and I can both agree, of missed opportunities, I think, for Baylor. They had many, many opportunities to win this game, but they decided to have many opportunities to lose the game. And Oklahoma State converted on those opportunities a lot. I also think Spencer Sanders played really well in this game. And I, I think he just, it seemed like he was very in control of everything that was going to happen for the Cowboys offense. And I know his stats aren't going to say, man, he was all world. But against this team on the road at Baylor in a situation where you're playing one of the best defenses in the league, he was very in control of this game outside of that one interception. So he played really well. Um, we talked about Blake Shapin a little bit, but like you said, there's a lot of work to be done for this Baylor team coming off this loss. There's a lot of things that they need to improve on. Um, and I know they played one of the best teams in the conference. I get that. But you only have so many opportunities to play home games, especially this year, because uh, Baylor only gets four of them in conference play. You've got to take advantage of them. So now all the pressure's on Baylor. You got to win out at home and you got to find a way to go on the road and win quite a few more games before the season's over. Yeah, I think uh, the, the big thing for me is the fact that um, you've only got so many games left, period. You know, I, I understand this. You know, people talk about young team and all that. This is really not that young of a team. Like, look at the lines. Look at, I mean, this, there's a lot of juniors and seniors here. And I don't think that, you know, you realize um, you got, you know, seven games left maybe eight, like, but you still have to go earn that eighth and you got to win three more games to get that eighth game. And you'd love to have nine games, but like that's now even more in jeopardy because you've already lost a conference game. So, um, you know, yeah, it's early in the season kind of sort of, but it's almost halfway through and these things fly by and senior years and final years fly by. And so, uh, you know, Aranda talked about looking in the mirror and all that kind of stuff. They better, I mean, if they, if they want to accomplish what they want to accomplish, ultimately, they got to look in the mirror this week and figure some things out because uh, that's a game that you just, I mean, you should very well be 5-0 and oh right now. And they're 3-2 and two in part because of what the other teams have done, but also be, a lot because of what they've done to themselves. Uh, you know, and um, that's just, uh, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for them. If here I am, I'm just a server and I'm, I'm frustrated watching last week, but I, I can only imagine what it must be like to be involved with it because you know you shouldn't have probably lost that game, and uh, and now you're you're in a you're in a pinch, man. At three and two now, you're in, you're already in a pinch. There's a long way to go, but not really a long way to go. So um, coming out of this game, you know, I thought Aranda made you know interesting comments, like I said about special teams, and he talked about you know they just kind of have to look in the mirror and all that. Uh, one thing that was of note uh, yesterday, Josh Fleeks, it was announced that he's in the transfer portal now. Uh, I think everybody's predicting he'll end up in Lubbock, Texas, probably. We'll see, obviously, but that just would make sense. I actually thought that would have happened last offseason uh, and was surprised that he ended up back in Waco, um, but he did, and he had a couple carries like two weeks ago, and then, you know, here he is, and he's transferring to save his final year. I guess people kept asking me, how many years does he have left? I have no idea. He's a fifth-year senior. But it's COVID stuff. So, like, I don't know if he's got two left or he's got – I guess this is one. He's saving this one by redshirting. But either way, he'll be playing somewhere next year. Probably if you put two and two together in Lubbock with old high school coach Joey McGuire. But who knows who comes comes knocking. Uh, either way, I had a couple people who like, I don't know how they never figured out how to use him. I don't know – why did he move to running back in – you know, oh, my gosh, why did this or why did that? Like, look, he had plenty of opportunities, Grayson. I'm, I'm not trying to dog on him either, but, like, you know, a lot of bouncing to the outside, it seemed like what we'd always kind of turn into. Just whatever reason, it did not really ever work out in Waco for, for Josh Fleeks where he became like a week-in, week-out weapon for them. Had to be frustrating for him. Had to be frustrating for them. Ultimately, they're going their separate ways. Your thoughts on, on Josh Fleeks' decision? Yeah, you know, I mean, sitting back and looking at his career, you know, he had some good moments, uh, mainly at wide receiver. He got moved to running back this year. And I think the fact of the matter is he wasn't better than the guys that they have playing the slot on this current team. So he wasn't going to have a role there. They moved him to running back. They used him in some passing down situations, but they didn't use him a lot. And so I think it's good for him. He needs to go find a place where he can play a lot. I think his future is at receiver. So 
he needs to go somewhere that's probably going to play, you know, four or five wide receivers at a time, which would be Tech. Um, you know, Tech will air it out a lot more than Baylor's going to uh, in their offense. And so I think this is good for both sides, you know, that Baylor Baylor's able to move on and use that roster spot for someone else in the future, even though I, I don't think they really, you know, planned on him being back. And then on the flip side, you know, Fleeks gets to go somewhere and show off, you know, what he can do in his final year of eligibility. Cause I do think he only has one more year left. Cause like you said, I think that's why he's leaving early is to save his red shirt in order to play another year. So bummed it didn't work out for him in the long run bummed. He didn't have like this great career at Baylor, uh, but I also think you can look back and find some moments where you got excited about Josh, you got excited about, you know, what he could bring to the field. And so, you know, I'll be rooting for him because he's a guy that did stay at Baylor for his whole time, pretty much. And so for guys that want to go play one year somewhere else, cause they're not playing, I'm all for that. Um, sure. Absolutely. Zero hard feelings at all. He's definitely a Baylor bear and one that fans should be very proud of. Yep. So that's a, a piece of news from this week. Uh, that'll open up a scholarship and, I'm sure we'll be seeing him again. Best of luck to Josh Fleeks. As far as the uh, rest of the open week goes, Grayson, on your end, is there anything of note? Yeah, you know, I, I just think, you know, this open week is a time to get better, right, as a team. And there are a few areas where I, I feel like they need to take steps in the right direction. And cornerback is one of them. Um, you know, they're playing a lot of too high safety looks, but the too high safety look, they're really doing it to take away stuff across the middle of the field. That's deep, not so much on the outside. So cornerbacks really do have to be able to win those one-on-one -on -one battles on the outside near the sideline. And they haven't been able to do that at all through the middle part of this year. So that's one area. And then in the slot, they just continue to have struggles there, whether they're in man or they're in zone coverage, they've had issues. And so really just their secondary in general, but especially their cornerbacks, they can't keep losing these one-on-one -on -one battles because as you get deeper into conference play, you're starting to see some of these teams in the Big 12 who have really dynamic offenses, but also have really dynamic receivers who can exploit that. And you saw Oklahoma State do that despite missing one of their best receivers in Jaden Bray. And you're going to see other teams in this conference try to take advantage of that and most notably, you're about to face a team that I do think can take advantage of that if Baylor doesn't play better in West Virginia. They have good receivers, Bryce Ford, Wheaton, Caden Prather. They have a solid quarterback in JT Daniels. They have some weapons, and they'll challenge Baylor if they don't get better in that area. So that's one area. You know, I'm curious about, you know, how does this offense take another step in the right direction? Are you able to get Tay McWilliams back? Um, are your receivers able to grow throughout the bye week? Are they able to get better? Are you able to find, you know, three or four guys you can really rely on? That's going to be a big question as well. Um, but I do think, you know, in general, I think a lot of times when you see a guy like Richard Reese have the success that he has had, you kind of automatically assume, oh, he's the best running back on this roster. Oh, look at what he can bring to the table for Baylor. And I agree, like we've seen some great flashes from Richard and I expect him to have a role throughout the year. But there are times where they have missed Tay McWilliams and his physical running ability, his ability to fall forward consistently, which is something that Abram Smith did last year, has been missed. And frankly, in those fourth and one situations, I do think he'd have a better chance at converting those. Um, he's also a good pass catcher as well. So I think they need him back they're going to reach their ceiling as an offense to where they can use, you know, three running backs in this scheme um, and, and really wear on a defense a little bit more than they have. So those are some of the areas I'm looking at. I also think we've mentioned pass rushing. They got to get after the quarterback better. They're not making quarterbacks uncomfortable enough at all. They've been able to take away running games for the most part, but you've got to be able to create negative plays on quarterbacks and make them flustered because they did that so well a year ago. And as you move forward in conference play, that's going to be a real key to the ceiling of this team is how uncomfortable can they make opposing quarterbacks? Yes. Well, uh, Tay McWilliams now out, out close to a month ever since uh, whatever head injury he suffered or whatever injury it was. So anyone's guess there about what's going on, but uh, kind of kind of weird that he's out this long at this point. So it must have been pretty bad, and hopefully he gets back sooner rather than later. But, yeah, I mean, here we are. He's been hurt basically the entire season already. Um, well, it was the helmet to helmet hit that he took against BYU right? has sent him out. And that guy's had like three targeting calls, or at least he's knocked out three other guys this year 
for BYU. Right. I think that's an interesting, interesting trend uh, by one of their players. But yeah, I mean, you know, you feel for Tay because uh, he was a guy that they clearly wanted to give the ball to quite a bit. Um, and I think he was going to be their workhorse. I'm also curious, you know, the squirrel thing. Why did squirrel not get many touches in this game? That was a little confusing to me as well. I know Richard got 17 carries, but for squirrel to only get two carries, um, that was a little baffling to me. So again, back to the drawing board, figure out what you can do better, figure out the guys that are truly going to lead your team to a potential big 12 championship, find out who the guys are you can rely upon. And then also just in general, Craig, like you mentioned, they need to figure out a way to, when they show up to games, have a hundred percent energy and focus. That's just, it's gotta be a given every single week coming off of this bye week because they don't have any more room for error. Uh, I mean, they do, if they want to make the big 12 championship, they technically could lose again. Um, I still think the big 12 championship will probably have, you know, a one loss and a two loss team, maybe even a two loss team and a three loss team. So there's still room for error. Um, but you don't want to just consistently lose games. Like you want to be playing your best football after the bye week. I think Baylor really needs to showing that. They're five games in, man. They're almost halfway through. So there's, yeah, there's, there's room, but there's like as little room as possible. You go lose to West Virginia and your room's out. I mean, basically. So um, this team just, again, needs to figure out what it wants to be and, and what it wants to leave as far as its story, because uh, as it's been said multiple times, this is not last year's team. That's fine. Everybody's moved on from that, but um, you know, they're in danger of like, you know, go lose to West Virginia. All of a sudden, you're you're scrambling for how you're making a bowl game, man. Like yeah. that sounds crazy, but that's that's legit. You still like I know Oklahoma got embarrassed, and I know Texas looks beatable and whatever. But like, so does this team. So did this team's lost two games they should have won. So they could easily lose a bunch more they should have won because all those other teams are capable of beating them. I think TCU is capable of beating them. I do. Like, I mean, so. Yeah, I mean, it's not not for us to rally them, right? That's the coaches. That's that's on them. That's on the players. But I, I hope that you know those players do realize, like, hey, man, it's a pretty special senior group. That like you're not. This isn't another like they don't just reload again next year. Like, there's this is a group that came together and was like a championship roster, and they're three and two. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, only gonna get you know, as tough or tougher from here on out. Uh, getting into the mailbag now, we got just a couple of questions. Uh, Bear Coog, um, follow along with me here, Grayson. Have you noticed oh, yeah. there are instances? I got you. Have you noticed there are instances where the offense is running a run play to the right and our entire line is blocking to the right, but Shapin has free range to the left? Notice Shapin gets about five yards downfield after handing the ball off to a running back for a small gain. It looks like every time we run to the right, the opposing defensive end is biting down hard and losing contain, leaving Shapin open to run for 10-plus unguarded yards. This is something I've seen consistently throughout all of our games. Is that a read that Shapin is missing? Does Grimes not want that misdirection run by Shapin to happen? Curious on your thoughts. Yeah, you know, the more that I've watched this, the more that I think this isn't a read situation. I think this is just straight up, this is what we're running don't pull it. We're running the football. And I, I think that, I, you know, I don't really have an answer as to why Baylor has decided to do that. Um, I know it's early in the year. I get it. So maybe you're trying to say, okay, you know what? We need shape in the last throughout the year. Maybe they think they're good enough to win a big 12 championship without running him. And that way you can save him till the very end of the year. And then you open up that part of the offense as well. I'm not really sure. But what I do know is they're three and two right now. And so all that needs to be thrown out of the window. Like if you think that Blake Shapin running the football can give you a chance to win games or can add a wrinkle to your offense, they're going to need to start doing that more. Now, if you need to tell them, hey, man, if you get outside and there's a linebacker there who you're not outrunning, just slide. Or if you if you don't see green in front of you, just slide. The only problem is, is, you know, it's a long year and you've already seen it. A guy like Dylan Gabriel, he just got knocked out of the Oklahoma game because he's running around. And even when he slid, he took a huge hit. Um, so these things can happen, but I think ultimately we're in the second half of the year now coming off the bye. I think they need to run him a little bit more just to intimidate opposing defenses a little bit, just to make them a little weary of, okay, he might pull it. He's actually kind of quick, kind of fast. We could be giving up you know, a 20, 25 yard gain here if we don't keep contain and that could help them in the run game a little bit more. 
Yeah, I don't know about the uh, technical aspects of your question there, um, but hopefully that answered it as best as possible. And uh, hopefully if we didn't enlighten you enough on exactly the details of what you're saying, that we got plenty of people on site that can, can help illuminate that further. But uh, do appreciate the question. Scotty B., what grade would you give towards running backs, wide receivers, and secondary so far this year? Yeah, you know, so for the running backs, I'm actually going to give them an A. Um, and the reason for it is, is because they haven't had Tate McWilliams, who is supposed to be the lead back coming into the year. So you take him out, and now you're seeing her with a true freshman, Quaylen Jones, who many people had said wasn't going to play at Baylor, like it wasn't going to work out for him. And then Squirrel, who was coming back from injury, who he just kind of an unknown. And Baylor's still pretty much getting the job done on the ground. And I think more of their problems have been from the offensive line not necessarily the running backs. Now, have the running backs missed opportunities where, hey, if they would have had a bigger back, maybe they fall forward and you're able to get a first down here and there? Sure. But I also think at times the offensive line has missed blocks. I think the offensive line has had moments of inconsistency. And maybe when they get Khalil Keith back, that will help some things. So I'm going to give them an A for now. I, I think when you lose a guy uh, who I think is as good as Tay, it naturally leads to some problems. Um, as far as wide receiver goes, I'll probably give them a, uh, oh man, I'll probably give them a C plus right now. You know, I haven't seen a ton of dynamic plays out of them, you know, outside of Monterey Baldwin. Um, and obviously Ben Sims counts as a tight end. So it's pretty much just Monterey, a flash here of Gavin Holmes, a flash here of Hal Presley. I can't give them that high of a grade. It just hasn't been consistent enough. And part of that's offense line play. Part of that's quarterback play but also a large part of it is wide receiver play. Um, and then as far as in the secondary, you know, I think right now I'll probably give them, a, you know, a C plus. Um, once again, you know, I don't like that they're getting beat so badly when they're in man coverage. It just feels like it hasn't been close at all. Um, I think at times, you know, guys like Al Walcott, Devin Lemire have made plays in the run game. They've made plays in the pass game as well. Um, but I think in general, it's been, inconsistent and they've been giving up far too many big plays in the past game far many far too many touchdowns and first downs as well so again i can't give much more than a c plus at this time uh yeah i'll go running backs i'll go uh b minus uh, or b at high i mean as high as i'll go uh, quite frankly i mean they, yeah they've been respectable but i mean i don't know i just you know, with Tay McWilliams back there, then A, maybe, maybe not. Is it the offensive line? Maybe, maybe not. But I don't know. If Abram Smith's an A, then this group's a B. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, receivers, C. Secondary, C. I'm not going to get into the plus, minus, you know, C plus. Uh, B, C, C is where, where <laughs> they are for me. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody's deserving of an A right now. Uh, it's good to see Monterey actually have a game that, like, was a game that showed what he can do and not just like, hey, Monterey can be a game breaker. Like, sure he can. Let's see it. And then he showed it. Like, that was a game where we actually, like, stats-wise, like, performance-wise, like, we saw him uh, at his best. And so if we could see that more often, uh, that'd be great. Uh, obviously, offenses or defenses are going to key in on him uh, even more so now. So they're going to really need somebody else in that receiving core to – to step up, but again, here we are. We're we're going into game six, so uh, we're kind of running out of time for for that to happen. But uh, he could use some help. But yeah, if it was just based on Monterey, that would be an A. But overall, that's a that's a B. I could see an A for the running backs like at different times this year. But um, yeah, still some work to do there. And the secondary, like you said, had some issues here and there. So. Uh, yeah, BCC, do you believe this past game against Oklahoma State will serve as a lesson on how to handle a known scrambling QB like Kansas, TCU, and K-State? I didn't mention Oklahoma due to the unknown timetable of Gabriel from just concussion. I also would think Quinn Ewers would be back for Texas for Baylor unless he gets hurt again by then. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what Quinn Ewers has to really do with it unless you're calling Hudson Card a, a you know, really good runner. I wouldn't even call Dylan Gabriel a really good runner either. Um, you know, they're okay. You know, they're serviceable. Um, as far as, you know, looking at the true mobile quarterbacks, you know, I know Spencer Sanders ran it 14 times, but I didn't feel like it was a ton of designed runs. Like there were a few for sure, but you know, when you play Kansas state, it's going to be a ton of design runs for Adrian Martinez. When you play TCU, as long as Duggan's their quarterback, again, a ton of designed runs, Jalen Daniels, 
uh, to a lesser extent as well in those read option type situations. So, you know, while I think it's a good prep for what they're going to see uh, in the coming weeks, I also think there are still some things that Baylor's going to learn from some of these other quarterbacks that will be slightly different from what they saw with Spencer Sanders. But in general, you know, when a mobile quarterback's picking up third downs on you, that's a big key in this. That's what Baylor needs to really focus on getting better at. You're going to face teams that are going to run some QB power, which will be a little bit of a different wrinkle. Uh, but in general, when a play breaks down, can you contain the quarterback from getting a first down? That's the biggest thing that they need to work on. And it was something they had to work on at points last year as well. All right, final question here. Let's wrap this thing up. Um, so now it's – all right. Golden Green, Iran and Roberts made two big position changes this offseason with Walcott and Matt Jones. We moved our best cover corner to star, our best pass rusher to inside linebacker. In hindsight, do you think this was the right move given the available depth of those positions and our struggles in coverage and getting after the quarterback? Yeah, so I guess let me start with Matt Jones. I mean, he only had two and a half sacks coming into the year in 20 games. So I'm not really going to call him an elite pass rusher at the jack position. I don't think his move really mattered. I think it was the right move. You know, after, you know, he's been okay. He hasn't been, you know, very impactful like some thought he would be. He's been okay at inside linebacker, but I think he probably would have been doing the same thing at jack. So I'm fine with that move. The one that is puzzling is Al Walcott. And it's one of those situations where, you know, you, you look at it and you go, okay, well, first of all, he's been playing with a cast, you know, on his hand. So that probably impacts some things playing the star position. It also would impact things if he was playing cornerback as well. Um, but in general, I want to see him play fully healthy. I think we'll get that maybe after the bye week. And when he's fully healthy, how dynamic is he? Because he played pretty well in this Oklahoma State game. I think it was probably his best game of the year. Um, but I'm curious if that gets even better without the cast on. The issue is, is at cornerback, they've really struggled. So maybe if he was there, um, they'd be better there. But then it goes to, okay, but then who's playing the star position? Do they have someone that could be playing the star as well as he had? And I don't know the answer to that. And so that's kind of the dilemma. I still feel like he was their most proven corner. So I think, you know, my opinion was he should be playing that at the beginning of the year. Um, but I also understand why they made the move. And I don't think in hindsight they're thinking, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. Uh, but what I will tell you is during this bye week, they need to figure out who their best corners are. And if that means having Al Walcott try to play corner a little bit, I'm okay with it if they can find a guy to replace him at star. Uh, but I think there's just multiple questions to it that we don't quite know the answer to which is the reason why I'm okay with both of the moves. But the Al one is definitely the one that is most glaring and, and brings up the biggest question marks. All right, so uh, there's the mailbag for this week. Definitely appreciate everybody who got their questions in. And for those that didn't, just be on the lookout next week for the normal thread that pops up with uh, the questions or, or that asks you to, to prop your questions in for the uh, BearCast. So, uh, be on the lookout for that one if you didn't see it this last time around and you want to get in on the action next week. Um, I think that's about it, Grayson, I guess, uh, getting us some Big 12 picks here. Yeah, let's do it. So Big 12 picks for the week. Let's start off with uh, where game day is going to be. TCU traveling to Lawrence to take on Kansas. Uh, TCU's 4-0 coming off the beatdown of Oklahoma. Kansas is 5-0 after surviving against Iowa State. TCU is a seven-point favorite going on the road to take on Kansas. Kickoff is at 11 a.m. on FS1. Kansas shouldn't be hosting this game because they shouldn't have won last week, but Iowa State decided to throw up all over themselves. Um, so, yeah, give me TCU. I thought they looked really good. I think Max Duggan uh, was a bit of luck for them that Chandler Morse got hurt early on. Maybe they ended up at this point anyways, ultimately, but that basically forced them into Duggan, and they've been aces – um, not without flaws, but been been good since then. So, uh, yeah, uh, Sonny Dykes has got a good thing going. Give me TCU to uh, end the, the magical run of the Jayhawks. But that, like I said, should have ended last week. Yeah, I mean, typical Matt Campbell fashion, losing games like that that they're supposed to win um, or games where it feels like they should win and then they don't win. Um, but in this one, you know, I think you're right. You know, they got lucky that Chandler Morris got hurt because Duggan's ability to run the football was on full display against Oklahoma truly was a huge difference in that game. 
Um, and I think it's going to be a huge difference in this game as well. I think TCU's got enough weapons to really exploit a kind of weak Kansas defense that I think, you know, last week, yeah, they only gave up 11 points. So everyone's thinking, oh, they're really good defensively. But I think you're going to see the warts pop up again against TCU. So I expect the Horn Frogs to win, but I think Kansas will keep it somewhat close. Um, I think final score will be something like 41 to 30. I think both teams are going to score some points in this game. Next up, uh, Red River shootout. Texas takes on Oklahoma and Dallas. Texas is 3-2. and two. OU is 3-2. and two. A huge pivot game for both of these teams. Game is at 11 a.m. as usual on ABC. Texas is seven-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have to go with Texas based on just what we've seen recently. Uh, I would imagine, and I don't know for sure, but it sure seems like Quinn Ewers will probably be back this week. Um, if not, then I basically am going to lose any interest in when he does come back, quite frankly, because they've been talking about it for like a month now, right? And I just I, – I don't care if he's not coming back for Oklahoma, although, you know, if it's like the Baylor game when he comes back, we'll obviously talk about that. But I, I'm I, I'm not caring about the week-to-week with him. So I, I'm just assuming he's going to be back this week. Um, and even if he's not, they still have the far better quarterback in any instance uh, with Hudson Card versus, what, Davis Bevel, I guess, for Oklahoma. Um, yeah, Oklahoma looked bad. Their defense looked bad. And when you're basically, you know, you, not basically, you're led by a defensive-minded head coach who's your head coach because of what he's done on defenses. I mean, that was the Brent Venables that was getting barked at, ran out of town in Norman like years ago that you never would have predicted he would have been the head coach years later at Oklahoma based on just the way people used to get so upset with, you know, him giving up points as the DC. And so that's what it felt like sort of was back in the days when like, they were like fire Brent, get him out of here on, on Stoops, you know, Stoops and Riley staff, or was he ever on Riley's staff? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. No, but when he was on Stoops' staffs. Um, so yeah, that was, that was just weird, man. It was like a weird flashback, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't think they're going to shore up all their defensive problems in one week, even if, you know, some of them or if not a lot of them were, are correctable. Um, I think Texas has a little bit of juice, and, and OU really doesn't have any right now. So, yeah, give me the Longhorns. Yeah, I mean, without Dylan Gabriel, I, I don't think this game's going to be particularly close, um, to be honest. Uh, if he plays, which I'm not sure if he's been officially ruled out, um, but I, I, I think Texas is going to win this game regardless. They look like the better team uh, currently. Um, and so, yeah, I like the Longhorns. I think it'll probably be something like, uh, 34 to 17. Uh, I think it'll be a, a pretty sufficient beating uh, by the Longhorns in this one. Next up, uh, Texas Tech travels to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. Texas Tech lost at Kansas State this past weekend. Oklahoma State, of course, beat Baylor. The game is at 2.30 on FS1. Oklahoma State is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Well, I mean, I would imagine Joey and them will give uh... – give the pokes a run for their money. And I think Oklahoma state has to be careful, of, you know, not suffering from a bit of a letdown. Um, Cause that's entirely possible because, it, you know, that's one thing I need to point out as well is we heard it with BYU. They're talking about the Baylor game. Like it was their freaking super bowl. And then you hear Oklahoma state and how happy they were in the post game and how much they knew that win mattered. Even Spencer Sanders kind of saying like, yeah, it was, it was kind of a big deal for me. And it's like, how is it that these teams are getting up for you, but you're not getting up for these teams. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. how do you, how do you not like the whole off season was about being the hunted now. And I got to get the, again, young team, but like, like spare me the young thing. Cause like, look at this team. Really? They're not that young. They're really not that young. Like there are guys being replaced that were seven years deep into college because of COVID and whatnot. So they're young in that regard, but like, they're not so young that they're all just like doughy eyed, never knew better. Like, this is my first game. I'm just happy to be here. Like they have plenty of experience. So yeah, that, that's alarming to me that you've got teams talking about what a big game Baylor is for them. And, they, and like Baylor doesn't even see it as like, a doesn't even show up like it's a big game. You know, that's just, right. that's wild. That's wild to me. But, um, but anyways, uh, Oklahoma state. So, you know, I feel like they're a pretty veteran laden team. So I don't expect that they'll have a letdown at home. Uh, like we saw last week for another team. So give me Oklahoma State, but if Tech is, uh, you know, going to be like we've seen them so far, then I'm sure they'll make it, you know, a fight for at least three quarters, and then we'll kind of see what happens after that. 
Yeah, I like Oklahoma State in this game. Um, Tech played okay against Kansas State, but they were never really in that game. You know, it didn't feel like they were really ever going to win that game. I think got to hang close, man. Yeah, but I think this will be more the same. Uh, I like Oklahoma State, 37-23. I think they take care of business at home. Next game on the list in the final game of the weekend, Kansas State travels to Ames to take on Iowa State. Uh, Kickoff is at 6.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Kansas State is a two-point favorite in this one. Uh, The Wildcats are coming off of a win over Texas Tech. Iowa State just lost to Kansas on the road. Uh, first, I want to say I agree with you. Like that, uh, Tech didn't feel like they were like ever in control of that game. But like they're doing the whole Matt Rule thing of just like play hard, play close, and then just give yourself a chance to win and hopefully a couple things go your way. And so they they yeah. they're pesky. Like they're pesky. They're not just going to get rolled over. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll give them uh, that bit of credit. But uh, as far as this one goes, um, uh, was it K State and who again? Iowa State. K State at Iowa State. State. Yeah. I mean, I guess K State should I mean K State should win this game. I'll go with K State. Um yeah, Iowa State just Hunter Deckers doesn't look very good at all. Sold a bill of goods on him, at least at this point in his career. Um he's he's not anywhere close to Purdy, so how dare that fan base knock Purdy the way that they did or you know, whoever has chosen to. Because I I definitely felt like I heard a lot of Hunter Deckers is gonna be better than Brock Purdy. Like, I heard some of that and that is not proven to be the case at all um and then outside of that just they're fine um so yeah give me k-state with adrian martinez running the football i'd be very interested to see how you know that k-state offensive is is effectiveness wise versus um iowa state's defense but give me k-state still because they've clearly been the better team this year yeah this feels like a typical big 12 game in which Kansas State's going to go on the road after getting all this credit where everyone's talking about they're going to win the Big 12 now and how they should be the favorite. And people are forgetting that just, that just a couple of weeks ago they lost to Tulane uh, at home. So, uh, yeah, I think they're going to go on the road here and they're going to lose this football game because that's typical Big 12 fashion. And I think Iowa State's going to find a way with their defense to force some turnovers, make life hard for that offense who's not just going to be able to run the ball all over Iowa State in this game. They're just not. So they're going to have to throw the football, and I think that's going to cause some problems for Kansas State. So I'll take Iowa State in a close one, uh, but I like them to win it 24-21. I think that aims magic at night. I think that's going to be a problem for the Wildcats. No, I could definitely see that. I I just, you know, I – I've tried to play that game in my head too. And I've done that with Iowa state over and over yeah. and over again. And I'm just, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Like even and you're right. Like this is a game that seems like it would be totally foreseeable that they go and win this game. Like you said, but I just, I've given them my votes of confidence already. I'm done with giving Iowa state my votes of confidence. Just remember who they beat last year at home. I don't know if you remember, cause I don't think it gets talked about much because Iowa state went seven and six last year. But don't forget that Oklahoma State's only loss last year in Big 12 play was on the road at Iowa State. So just something to keep in mind. Iowa State, they'll pull off some upsets, especially in Ames. Yeah, no, I mean, I can see Adrian Martinez throwing like three picks or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, total, I totally see it. I just, I just, I, I've, I've given them the benefit of the doubt so many times already that uh, they can just prove me wrong from here on out. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that, I could definitely see that. So there's the Big 12 schedule this week. Looks like a pretty good group of games. Obviously, that K-State was, result will be uh, quite important to the grand scheme of things, depending on where they sit. Uh, but so will you know Oklahoma State versus Tech, obviously, and then Tech, Texas Oklahoma will have some implications, and obviously TCU Kansas will have some implications as well. So a fun week for Baylor and West Virginia to sit back and uh, get ready for their Thursday night game. Uh, here almost a week out uh, in Morgantown, but be nice to kind of just sit and not have to worry about, you know, what you've got going on and just be able to watch everybody else for, for a weekend. I'm looking forward to that. So anything before we go here, Grayson? No, nothing really. I'm excited to get back on schedule next week. And I'll just say, you know, the premium side, second 365 premium, we have all kinds of content, even during the bye week um, recruiting, everything like that. Keep up to date with it by being becoming a premium subscriber. I know, Craig, I just was reminded by Colt, you know, we're two months out 
from signing day. So you and I will do our signing day show again this year in December, I assume. Um, and so looking forward to that, that'll be a lot of fun. And so be looking out for the lead up to that, all kinds of recruiting notes and content along those lines, as well as football, basketball, everything alike. And of course, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, three to six as well. Y'all do an awesome job covering college football in general. Thank you, man. We uh, enjoy it and uh, enjoy all the great work being done over on Sickup365.com. It's a good week for everybody to kind of catch their breath and just enjoy all the content, not have to stress too much over the result coming up on Saturday. So definitely take advantage of that for the next couple of days and, you know, enjoy everybody else's, you know, roller coaster results. And then it's back to it starting. Uh, we'll actually have a Dave Aranda press conference on Saturday this week. So mm -hmm. be on the lookout for that versus a Monday, because of course, again, they've got the short week in the game next Thursday in Morgantown. So it'll be, Back to uh, to a normal to a, well to a schedule uh, sooner rather than later. So yeah, that's around the corner. Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, please spread the word about 365 Sports on YouTube, Sikkim365.com. Sign up memberships, uh, premium wise, uh, is always available, and, and definitely encourage you to do that if you haven't tried it out already, or spread the word if you have. Uh, you know the drill. We appreciate everybody out there for listening. Thanks to the good folks behind the scenes at the studio as well. We will be back to our normal set up uh, next week. But uh, thanks, as always, to everybody involved and everybody out there. For Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com and 365 Sports.